Greetings, preheaters. This is Andrea with a quick message at the top of the show. We had some technical difficulties recording this particular episode. So while Stefan will sound lovely as usual, I most decidedly will not. We think we've got this problem tackled going forward, but for this particular episode, my voice will sound definitely hollow. Thanks for your patience. We hope you still enjoy the show. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today we're celebrating National Chocolate Cake Day with a one bowl award winning no icing required chocolate bunt that ticks all of Andrea's boxes. We'll also review our Earl Grey shortbread and the globetrotting gourmet heads to Morocco and Victoria, B.C. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Do you recall what King Arthur named 2017 the year of the... Oh, I know we talked about it. What was it? Uh, uh, nope. They picked the bunt. So it was the year of the bunt cake. Yeah. Oh, yes. And um, this week they came out with their 2018 recipe of the year, which I thought was fascinating that they're naming their recipe of the year in January. (laughs) So this is another food trend like we talked about last episode, episode 60. Yeah. It seems that our listeners love nothing more than a good loaf of banana bread. And lo and behold, Uh, King Arthur picked a whole grain banana bread as their 2018 recipe of the year. And uh, their copy there said, comforting, simple, and bonus wholesome. This one bowl recipe is incredibly moist and flavorful and perfect for bakers of any skill level. So looking at it, the way that it appears different from my traditional banana bread is it does use a cup of whole wheat flour in place of all-purpose flour. So it still has all-purpose, but it mixes in that cup of whole wheat. So I'm kind of excited to try it. Yeah, absolutely. And also last episode in episode 60, when we were talking about the 2018 food trends, it was kind of the more healthy, the more functional foods. And so, you know, using a whole wheat or using the, even a food trend was like alternative breads. So, um, well, preheaters have been following this trend for for several years, (laughs) I I would say. Yeah. My big challenge right now with banana bread is my daughter is just an absolute banana fiend. And so she eats all the bananas before they go ripe. Oh, no. (laughs) You have to, like, put some away in a cupboard or something. (laughs) I think that's what I'm going to have to do. I've already had to label things in the pantry, like, these chocolate chips are for snacking. Do not eat these others. So I'm going to have to do that with my bananas as well. Hey, I just had a great idea. Maybe you could go buy a banana hook at the Seattle Goodwill (laughs) and (laughs) designate it as your daughter's bananas. (laughs) Oh, but which one to choose? There are so Mm. many styles. So, so many. Um, Well, speaking of trends, Andrea, I found it really fascinating that so many people have responded to one of my 2018 baking resolutions, which is to organize my recipes. So this really touched a chord. We heard from Caitlin and Lori, Whitney, Heather, Jocelyn, Lorraine, and Natalie, who are all like, I'm completely overwhelmed. I don't know. I think it was listener Amy who also uses the um, Eat Your Books. There's also one uh, that... 
people called out, which was paprika. So there are so many options and people just kind of seem a little paralyzed as to, you know, they've got their paper, they've got their cookbook, they've got their online, they've got Pinterest. And how do you kind of get it all in one spot? So I just wanted to let listeners know that we're not going to abandon this. It's going to be a ongoing project for me and I think somewhere down the road we're going to keep checking in with the online Facebook community and listeners and then I'll let you guys know too how it's going for me and what's working so yeah yeah, big resolution ultimately with these type of things too I don't think there's one right answer because you have to come up with a system that works for you and just as you like your paper and I like using my app there's going to be people out there who have their own preferences. So we are happy to investigate and look at all sorts of different solutions because we know that what works for me and what works for Stefan might not work for you. Yeah, that's a great point. Up next, we are going to review our Earl Grey shortbread from oleanderandpalm.com. We introduced this last week in episode 60. I think it is a very different recipe using loose tea leaves in a shortbread. Stefan, how did yours turn out? I really liked these cookies, Andrea. I thought they were so beautiful. I thought they were so elegant. They were a lovely palate cleanser after kind of a a holiday season of heavy eating. They are the kind of cookie I call an adult cookie, which means Mm. you would have them in a very kind of like you would make it a treat you know it would it would be with your literally with your perhaps cup of earl gray or another kind of tea um i really enjoyed them i love tea as you know i am the tea drinker in this duo yes i also love vanilla uh truth be told i love butter as well so this recipe (laughs) has no shortage of that They are a beautiful cookie. So they are freckled. They're very kind of blonde dough, but they are freckled with not only the tea leaves, but then also the vanilla bean. And uh, Andrea, I used your advice. I had some vanilla bean paste, which is essentially just the vanilla bean pod already scraped. So that's what I used. It worked great. It's not a difficult recipe. It has tremendous flavor. I think the flavor improved with age, actually. So as they were sitting on my, uh, actually in my cookie jar uh, for a bit, I think it was. I think it was improving. Um, yeah, I, I thought they were. I thought they were lovely. Um, that said, they weren't a cookie that my children particularly cared for. My son was fairly diplomatic, and he tried it, and he just he kind of put it down, and he paused, and he said well, not my thing. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's it's that. They're not, not going to be like replacing your Toll House or your oatmeal yeah, or any sure of that. It's a sophisticated cookie flavor. It is a sophisticated cookie flavor. You are not a huge tea drinker. What did you think of these? I also love these cookies. And I had a couple of things happen as I was making them that I think contributed to my overall satisfaction. Oh. <laughs> uh, first of all was my experience at Encore Chocolates and Teas in downtown Olympia. So I popped in there to get some loose Earl Grey. Uh, as I mentioned, the recipe, you use the actual tea leaves. So I didn't want to buy a whole box of Earl Grey since I, I thought it might take me too long to go through it. And the owner there, Dean, has the most lovely selection of teas. And then they're all in glass jars so you can open them and smell them. And then there's some samples. So I was about to grab the Earl Grey, and then right next to it was something called Cream Earl Grey. 
And I read the ingredients and it was black tea, corn flower petals, oil of bergamot, and vanilla. And when I compared it to the regular Earl Grey, the difference was the vanilla. Yeah, right. I thought to myself, well, this cookie has a vanilla flavor as well, so this can only enhance and add additional yeah, additional vanilla exactly. depth. So I went with a cream Earl Grey, which I think was a great substitution. This was one of the prettiest teas I've ever seen. Those mm. cornflower petals, you know tea much better than I do. Is that a traditional thing to have in Earl Grey? They're such a vibrant blue color. No, I've never seen that. Mm-mm. Okay. No, but so I know what a cornflower is, so yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, and, and that must be his special blend. And I was so hopeful that that would show up in the finished cookie. Alas, the blue <laughs> just mixes in. And okay. it, so you don't have these bright sparks of blue, but it was still really fun to make. I was a bit curious when I was making this. This is one of the first times I have made a bread or a pastry that did not have salt in it. Did you notice that? You know, I noticed there was no egg and I noticed there was no leavening, but I failed to notice there was no salt. You're absolutely right. I got really nervous about it when I noticed <laughs> it because I thought, you know, I thought surely this is a typo. I mean, okay. salt is in everything I've ever yeah. baked. So I went and checked a few of my tried and true websites like King Arthur Flour and Smitten Kitchen and, um, you know, Dory Greenspan, Barefoot Contessa, looked up their shortbread recipes. Sure enough, no salt in shortbread. What I did notice is most of the other recipes specified on the one cup of butter to use salted butter. And okay. uh, for, fortunately, that's what I had because I, um, I mean, the butter prices here are still skyrocketing. And so I am tending to buy whatever's on sale. And typically okay. the salted is on sale more than the unsalted. So I tried the dough before I cooked it and I felt like it lacked a little something. And I didn't add salt because I thought, you know, there's... I don't know how that's going to change it, and it doesn't appear that's part of it. But after my initial round of dough, I went back and added another tablespoon of the tea and another teaspoon of the vanilla because I just okay. thought it was a little bland. And I'm happy okay. with that substitution. I just I just bumped it up a little bit. Um, I'm glad you gave me the heads up on the fact that it chills twice. <laughs> so I was prepared for that because if you're trying to get these ready for a particular time, you do want to make sure you build in the 30 minutes of chilling time up front and then another 20 minutes of chilling time after you cut your cookies out. I used a new kitchen gadget for rolling out my cookies and I'm so excited about it. <gasps> oh my God, do tell. <laughs> Well, about a year ago, um, I, in another one of my Facebook groups, a pie group, um, we were talking about Dory Greenspan's, uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't in the pie group, it was in the Dory Greenspan um, cookies book. And she kept talking about rolling pin cheaters. And I think we might have even talked about it here on the show. So these are bands, basically like thick rubber bands that you place on the end of your rolling pin. And it helps Mm -hmm. you roll your crust into an even size. Yes, I've seen those. Okay, good. So the bands are different colors depending on what size you're going for. So since the recipe said quarter inch, I put these green bands on my rolling pin. And that just made it so easy. You don't have to worry about, am I overrolling? Are these thicker? Are these, you know, not as thick as the others? They all bake the same. Um, My husband said these were the most beautiful cookies I have ever made. And I would agree. Yeah, they are gorgeous. They really are. They are. I used a biscuit cutter because um, 
quite frighteningly, I cannot find my bag of cookie cutters. I'm, I've, I've got to discover where those are. I'm not sure where they went. Um, oh, no. I Do you know. think they disappeared after your Christmas cookie extravaganza? I'm thinking I either left them at the cabin where I did my Christmas cookie extravaganza, or when I came home, I put them away you know, in the garage with some other things. I They're around somewhere. I mean. Okay. Okay. Phew. <laughs> I All right. Please keep us posted, Andrea. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, but I, you know, I just use a circular biscuit cutter and that worked great. Um, yeah. I did read through the comments on this one. You know, the most common comment was people being confused about the tea. Yeah. Um, like, should I brew the tea or use the leaves? But quite a lot of people mentioned how sticky this dough was. And since I had not baked shortbread before, I'm really glad they talked about that because otherwise I would have worried that I was doing something wrong. Several people commented, no, this is kind of how it works with shortbread. You know, just that amount of butter, it can be pretty sticky and you just want to keep your um, cutting board floured, your rolling pin floured, you're going to sprinkle flour on top. So um, I, I was happy to have read the comments on there and, and feel like, okay, I'm not the only one with these turning out pretty sticky. And I chilled mine for much longer than 30 minutes. I chilled mine for probably two hours before I even rolled them out. So this is really interesting because I had exactly the other issue. And it wasn't a problem, but mine was not sticky at all. In fact, my dough was on the crumbly side, I would say. And so I went ahead and I chilled it for, I think, probably approaching the hour mark, if not hour and a half mark. And then it was so cold that I had to just sit it on my countertop before I could really work with it. But it was not at all sticky. So I don't I don't understand what was going on there. Interesting. Um, well, I did I, I, I did have to let it, when I pulled it out of the fridge after the two-hour chill, it was so stiff I could not have rolled it at that point. So I did have to yeah, mm-hmm. let it chill for, or um, come to room temperature before I could roll it out. But no, then it was quite sticky. And mine was not. Interesting. Oh. I don't know. Um, one other thing, too, is that I... Uh, because maybe this is just because of my texture but so you you put all the ingredients this is before your initial chill and then you you wrap it in plastic before you're putting it in the refrigerator and I at that point it was crumbly and so I kind of kneaded it into the disc once it was inside the plastic and kind of did some additional kneading there so I I don't know I mean I had great success I have no I, I didn't think there was any kind of chemistry that didn't work here so I'm just I'm really curious as to why mine wouldn't have been sticky I don't know. Well, you know, we're using very different flour and butter um, based on you living in London and me living in Washington State. I went with my traditional King Arthur flour all-purpose, and I went with the organic salted butter that I can purchase from Costco, so it's their brand. I did notice on reading the recipe comments that either the author or one of the commenters said, since this recipe is mostly butter, you should use as high a quality as possible. And I thought, oh, that was a good suggestion. I wish I had used my Kerrygold butter, but I think it turned out uh, just fine with the regular butter. It's a good point. It, it's just such an elegant cookie that you feel, and there's so few ingredients that it does feel like it's kind of a time you could splurge and feel really good about doing that too. So um, yeah, the only other thing when you were talking about thickness is I just prefer my shortbread a little thicker. So I didn't double the thickness. They weren't a half an inch thick by any means, but they were like a generous quarter inch. And uh, for those baking along in the UK with me, I used 175 degrees Celsius fan oven and I baked them for 10 minutes and that was perfect. They were excellent with tea. They were perfect with the tea, um, Earl Grey tea on the side as well. And 
yeah, they were just a really, a really beautiful cookie. I loved them. I did not expect my husband to like these at all. He's not a tea fan and he really doesn't like anything floral. He doesn't like floral taste. He doesn't like floral aromas. Um, I, as I gave it to him, he, he sort of said, wow, this looks different, but I never tell him what it is because I like to just get his reaction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he took a bite and he goes, oh, I love these. These are savory. And I thought that oh, was interesting. really interesting. Yeah. My daughter fell into the same camp as your son. She took a bite and then very tactfully said, oh, I think people will like these. <laughs> people who aren't me. Yes. <laughs> and then put yep, the remaining same. cookie down on the plate. The other reason I like these kind of cookies, I mentioned this back when I was talking about the olive oil shortbread I had at my last cookbook club is I don't think you can overeat these. They're such a sophisticated flavor. You, I had one cookie and I was satisfied. Yeah. You're not like, I can binge on a brownie. I can binge easily on a chocolate chip cookie. These, they just feel like pinkies up, you know, it's, it's really refined and beautiful. <laughs> I know. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I was, I was unsure about this, you know, how it was going to be. I thought it might be just an interesting, fun experiment to celebrate hot tea day and shortbread day, but I, yeah. I really liked them. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so thanks to Oleander and Palm for that recipe. It was a great one, and um, we really enjoyed our shortbread cookies. Well, Andrea, speaking of recipes that we love, hopefully we are both going to enjoy this next one, which I chose with you in mind. So as you, I'm sure, know, National Chocolate Cake Day is part of this wonderful month of January. <laughs> of and course. I, I, I know that one of your resolutions is to make more cakes and to feel more confident about, about making cakes. And this is a recipe from Taste of Home with the kind of uh, unoriginal or not too exciting title of contest winning moist chocolate cake but <laughs> so mm, what kind of cake is this well it's the contest winning moist chocolate cake oh and you know i'm not a huge fan of the word moist even in baking so mm. to have that in the title makes all me right a little well anxious. hopefully this we can just call our go-to chocolate cake this like is it. a bunt this is a bunt cake it is a very kind of straightforward sugar flour cocoa soda baking powder salt and eggs. It does have the addition of both one cup of brewed coffee and a cup of buttermilk. You're not using butter here, you're using oil, vanilla, and then dusting it with some confectioner's sugar. It is in a bunt. It is, there is nothing other than kind of putting everything in a bowl, mixing it up, and then putting it into the bunt pan. So I'm really hopeful this is going to be not only delicious, but just a nice, quick, delicious cake for us. I am so excited about this. First of all, I want to thank you since we did a recipe with tea leaves that you followed right up with a recipe with a cup of coffee. Ah, so did thought, you notice that? <laughs> There's my Stefan, just always the considerate friend. Um, I also am excited about cooking something from Taste of Home. I think back when we asked listeners about some of their favorite cookbooks, I think it was listener Carla who mentioned Taste of Home as one of her favorites. And I think they do tend to turn out pretty reliable recipes. And um, for listeners who have been with us from the beginning, you might recall that we did a pumpkin spice bundt cake. And I thought to myself, oh, I think that was a while ago. I'm going to look it up. And it was all the way back in episode two. Yes. So 
<laughs> I thought, wow, it's really been a while since we've done another bunt. So I'm super excited about that. And for people who didn't listen to episode two, I encourage you to go back and take a listen because you will discover Stefan found that Baker's Joy, the cooking spray that has flour in it, is essential for getting a bundt cake out of your bundt cake pan without any, you know, ripping or sticking or tearing. And so I just think if you're going to bake along with us, I encourage you to spring for that Baker's Joy. It makes a huge difference if you're using a bundt cake pan that is very swirly and crevicey and, you know, has lots of decoration on it. Yeah, and in fact, so two things. Uh, one, I'm in agony because I cannot find Baker's Joy in this country. So, <gasps> oh, oh and I, can't, I know, and I can't ship it to you because it's, it's an aerosol. aerosol. Yep, exactly. So I am really at a quandary about what to do. I do have another kind of nonstick. It's like a Pam. So I'm gonna hope for the best with that. Um, the other thing is the recipe technically calls for a tube pan, which when we were talking about the oh. difference uh, between a tube and a bunt, a tube is just a straight sided. And I think I'm going to, I don't have that pan. I'm going to use my bunt and call it good. So I'm not worried. That's interesting because I have the tube, um, but I just think bunt cakes are so much prettier. They're gorgeous. Wasn't yeah. that one of the best, you know, the comments when we made that bunt back uh, last November, wasn't it that it's just such a pretty cake or people felt really old, had that kind of an old fashioned cozy yes. feeling about the cake yes. as well. So I'm not worried. I'm going to use my bunt and hope for the best with uh, with my Baker's Joy alternative. <laughs> Well, and any of our UK listeners, I know we've got Natalie Dawn has been good about um, posting UK alternatives for you. So anyone else who's over on Stefan's side, if you know of any cooking spray that includes flour, uh, post on our Facebook group preheated so that she can <laughs> try yes, to get bunt cake successfully out of the pan. So remember, we will have the link to those recipes on our website, which is preheatedpodcast.com, and our Pinterest and our Facebook pages also. Well, Andrea, it's time for another entry into the globe-trotting gourmet, and I'm really excited to share with everyone. Uh, my family was fortunate enough to travel to Morocco over the new year. And wow. <laughs> fascinating morocco is only three hours away from london but you are reaching not only an entirely new to us country but a new continent so now i've been to africa which is amazing and definitely a bucket list a bucket list thing so morocco is the northwesternmost country in africa it's right um very very close across the um gibraltar across from spain and from mainland europe so um we went and I have so I could talk to you all episode about Morocco it was such an incredible experience and unlike any vacation that that I've ever ever had Um, but I will narrow it down in the interest of (laughs) focusing on food and some baking so Andrea when you were in Paris um, last October one of the things that you loved doing was taking a cooking class yes and we did the same thing in oh, uh, we were yay. in Marrakesh. We were in Marrakesh and we took a wonderful cooking class called Souk Cuisine and Souk is spelled S O U K and that I've is seen the that. word Yes, and that is the word for the marketplace or the bazaars, if you think of kind of those twisting, turning alleyways that are full of all kinds of food and goods and and kind of everything you can think of. So um, Souk Cuisine is run by a, um, actually a a woman from um, the Netherlands, uh, but she has lived in uh, Morocco for, I think, about 15 years now. And so she meets you 
And this was everyone from my son, aged eight, up through my husband and his sister and our two nieces who are um, young adults and my daughter, of course. So we met our guide and our chef in the uh, marketplace, and she handed us lists and said, go ahead. And we went out into the marketplaces, and we ordered oh. everything from chicken to all kinds of spices to all kinds of produce. And the Moroccans have an incredibly high standard for their produce, and they also grow just about everything year-round. Oh, In fact, okay. I, was, I was talking to Gemma, and I said, what is something you have a hard time getting here? And she had to really pause, and she finally said, um, artichokes? And <laughs> <laughs> literally everything else year-round. People really shop every day, and they eat a ton of vegetables that was a really um unique thing i i really didn't understand but they eat a lot of root vegetables andrea oh, lots of carrots rutabagas parsnips right turnips cabbages um tomatoes eggplants uh, zucchini it's um incredible we ate so much good food um and so we we made a a huge feast when we got back to our uh, cooking school and there were lots of other folks there who had had gotten their portion of the ingredients and it was it took us about two hours to shop about three hours to cook and then we sat down to our meal um so we made two desserts and the saying in morocco is we have the desert but we don't have dessert so what that means is <laughs> They eat a lot of, a traditional dessert would be uh, a bowl of fresh fruit, and then the traditional dish, or drink rather, in Morocco is mint tea, and you might have heard of this. It's okay. a very, very sweet, very concentrated blend of both green tea and fresh mint that is loaded with sugar, and I watched... Um, the man who was in charge of the place we stayed, he, he would make it. And I finally said, you have to show me how you're doing this. And I was thrilled because in Morocco, they make a specific sugar cube, which is more like a sugar log, just for the tea. So it's the equivalent of, oh. I don't know, 10, like normal okay. size, okay. Western size sugar cubes in one big kind of brick. And so they put two of those in this small teapot. So it's very, very sweet, very, very concentrated. And you have that all the time. Uh, you, It's a show of hospitality. You have it in the afternoon when you wake up. You just have it with a friend. You then have it with your dessert. So okay. um, not <laughs> a lot of – yes, it's fabulous. So not a lot of traditional desserts after your dinner meal. Okay. But um, two that, that – you will sometimes see we made in the cooking class. And one was called Garibas, and it is a biscuit uh, or cookie made with sesame seeds mm. and orange flower water. Now, you know that floral trends, we yes. know from our discussion last episode, are big. Um, this has oil, not butter, and or a little bit of butter, but mostly oil. And okay. this is something that you mix um, with – uh, your hands that's that's a big part of the cooking you would oh. mix with your with your hands and then you kind of just knead it out uh, roll it out into small balls these are both very small cookies and bake that the one that I helped make was made with uh, polenta and coconut oh, um, wow and again it's this one has egg lots of eggs four of them um, veggie oil, the polenta, the coconut, and then um, you're mixing it with your hands, rolling it into balls, and putting it 
um, with an almond on top. But Andrea, here is the coolest thing about cooking in Morocco. So Morocco regularly tops about 110 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer months. So it is not practical for many people to have an oven in their home because you would never use it for much of the year. Okay. So there are community ovens dotted all throughout the city. And you take your meal or your biscuits or whatever you're baking, you take it to the baker and he bakes it for you. And you can either hang out there, have some mint tea, chat with your friends, or you can leave it. The baker is an expert baker. He will know exactly what you're cooking. He will know exactly when to take it out for you based on when you've told him you'd be back. You can go about your business, come back, your dish is waiting. So that was an incredible experience. Walking with my dishes of savory, but then with my cookies on these big cookie sheets, walking it down to kind of the town oven, which is an oven in the ground, kind of like a pizza oven. If you think of a pizza oven and he's standing there with these very long kind of, you know, like wooden sticks, like a a paddle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in it goes. It's wood fired. So it has um, definitely a taste preference for many Moroccan people who want that kind of smoky flavor. And he, he bakes up the biscuits and you say, merci, monsieur. And you have your your biscuits. It was wonderful. I loved it so much. I thought what a wonderful way to bring people together and you're just there were just folks hanging out, you know, talking with their friends, chatting as their dish was being cooked. It was it was phenomenal. That's an experience I will not forget. I loved that. I have never heard of that and I love it so much. That yes. is really awesome. And you know, it goes back to the whole reason we started this show and why we love to bake and that's the community. And that's yep. that that aspect of sharing with other people and doing things together and you know, oh, that just gives me hope too because um you know, as our temperatures continue to rise, I mean, it's a horrible thing that we're seeing and where our summers here in the Pacific Northwest used to be so mild and temperate and we're getting more and more hot days and certainly across the country you're seeing that and you know maybe one good thing that can happen from that is sort of these community ovens springing up. Uh, Perhaps the preheated needs to make a community oven. I mean (laughs) I love it. Oh that is so cool Stefan. Thank you for sharing that. I could just talk for ages, but I knew I had to share that with all the listeners because it was so near and dear to my heart. And um, I will um, post a link to Souk Cuisine. I don't think I should post these um, recipes without checking first, but I right. will um, I will do that if you're interested in making um, either of these Moroccan biscuits. They were both uh, kind of like, Andrea, do you know a pecan sandy, a cookie called yes. a sandy? Yeah, yeah. They reminded me of Sandy's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, that's kind of like a pecan shortbread. Exactly. In fact, when I made, when I tasted the Earl Grey shortbread, I thought this is not too far off these cookies I had in Morocco. So um, do you have a picture of the community oven by any chance? I would love it to see that. I do. And one of my favorite pictures is me walking my dish to the community oven. So I will post, I will post those for you guys to see as well. Oh, I love that so much. Well, my, my entry into the Globetrotting Gourmet is not as exciting as Morocco, but I did manage to pop over to Victoria, BC in Canada for a few days. And um, it was an interesting trip. I've been there several times, but I've always been there in the summertime. And this was my first time going during the winter. And oh, I was excited about the trip because I thought, oh, it's going to be so beautiful for holiday time. I bet everything is twinkly lights and, you know, sort of that 
that I kind of wanted kind of that London feel that I've been seeing from your photos, you know, just of, you know, they've got that English influence, of course. Of course, Queen Victoria. yeah. Um, and all of that was present. However, what was also present was pouring buckets of rain. Uh. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, I didn't get out and explore as much as I would normally. I did have two great desserts. We ended up eating a lot at tapas restaurants, which uh, my family loves to do because you get several small plates and you share everything. And it's just, a, I, I think it's the funnest way to eat where you just get to try a little bit of everything. And uh, of course, by the time dessert came, we were pretty full, but we still managed to get a couple of things. So I did have a great chocolate mousse in a brandy snap basket, which is I think just brandied sugar and or, or you know car- caramel basically yeah it, mm-hmm. it was delicious and lovely I forget about mousse it's not something I make regularly it's not something I would usually order on a menu because I typically think of it as kind of bland but this one was specifically a dark chocolate bittersweet mousse so I thought okay that'll that'll be good for me that sounds great and at another place, uh, they only had one dessert, and it was espresso shortbread cookies. And so, I oh mean, my we're gosh. just hitting shortbread in all of our travels this year. <laughs> and I thought the really cute thing about it is they, you know, again, it was another small plates place. And so mm-hmm. I think we basically had four cookies because there were four of us, but they pre-cut them. And so each cookie was cut into four pieces. So you had this whole platter of little pieces of cookie. I, I would have enjoyed it if it had been like four different cookies. And so then you could have tried a bunch, but that, you know, I can't quibble too much. So that was kind of a, okay. a fun thing to try and eat. So that's funny that we both went to different countries, but ended up having shortbread at each one and making shortbread on our own show in the I same know. time. <laughs> it's our own food trend. Shortbread. I, shortbread is the dish of 2018, according to preheated so far, at least. <laughs> that's right. Um, Listeners, if you listened last week to episode 60, you may recall that Stefan and I are searching for your input on our show theme for the month of March. We're considering perhaps a bread month, perhaps a childhood favorite favorites month, and we'd like your input on what you would like our theme for March to be. So head on over to our Facebook group and check for the poll on voting for our monthly March theme, and we would love to hear your ideas for what we should bake up. Absolutely. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling racks. Since January has five Mondays, we'll have a sweet bonus episode for you next week. We'll review our chocolate bundt cake, introduce some hot chocolate desserts, and award our coveted blue ribbon to the dessert that made us happy to celebrate National Baking Month. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, or download us on Google and Apple Podcasts. We would love it if you subscribe to the show, and if you have a moment, please do pop over and give us a review. Even if you have just a minute to type a few words, it really does help other people find us and add people to our community. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.